of Jesus and kind of notice some of these parallel times that his own life and, and the actions that he did were similar to what we read about with the whole nation of Israel. Uh, for example, like times like in the book of Exodus, whenever they were going through the Red Sea and, and going uh, out into the wilderness. Well, last week I kind of looked at the, the Red Sea and I, I shared some, some different parallels between that Red Sea crossing and Jesus' own baptism. Well, now what I want us to do is, is notice that right after Jesus gets baptized, what he does is he goes out into the wilderness. That's just like the story of Israel, that whole nation, because right after they passed through the Red Sea, what did they go to? They went into the wilderness. Now, I'm not saying it's the same wilderness, and I'm not going to say that everything lines up exactly, because it doesn't. But what we do find is that Jesus is taking this story as part of the history of Israel, and he is actually accomplishing it the way that it should have been done the first time. Because let's face it, when you read in the book of Exodus, it's great stories. It's a wonderful thing to read about. But it's really not what God intended for his people. But in Jesus Christ, we see true redemption. We see true um, salvation and deliverance. And all that happens through Jesus Christ. So we're going to be looking at his time in the wilderness. Now, we typically might you know, call this the temptation in the wilderness or something like that. So at first... I want us to get the big picture of what we're looking at. So this is in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. This is the, the whole story, and then we'll kind of uh, take it uh, one temptation at a time and sort of work our way through it and see how these are parallels to the Exodus story. So in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift uh, you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. 
So this is the story that we're going to be working through and noticing these parallels. Now, what we're mainly going to be doing um, today, this, this morning in this video, is we're going to be looking kind of at the big picture, the, the big forms of the temptations and how they kind of relate to the history of, of Israel. Now, if you come back tonight, uh, we're going to be looking at one particular part of that. We're going to be focusing on that. I know it's, it's kind of strange to focus on just, just one part, especially the part I'm going to, but it comes to us in verse 2 about how Jesus was fasting 40 days and 40 nights. We're going to look more into that 40 days and 40 nights, that, that time period, and really what that means. But that's for tonight. Right now, let's look big picture. Let's look at how Jesus truly did fulfill what the whole nation of Israel was supposed to do during their time. But yet, they failed to do for one reason or another. So let's look at these temptations. Now, I do want to say this before we get into those temptations, though, exactly at least into those temptations. And that is that these temptations, uh, they've been related to some of the other writings uh, in other passages in the New Testament, and rightfully so. And sometimes these temptations are also kind of paralleled to the very first temptation. Whenever Adam and Eve were tempted by eating from that fruit that they were told not to eat from. Well, while we do see those parallels there, and we do see these parallels in other passages in the New Testament, what I want us to do in this lesson is kind of compare them to that entire nation of Israel, especially during the time of Exodus that, that we read about in that book of Exodus. So now let's look at these temptations and let's see both how Jesus overcame them, but then also notice how he really was showing an entire nation and really all people now how we should be following God. Verses one through four, this is that very first temptation. And I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to reread each one of these temptations as we get to it. So this first one is right here. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So temptation number one, what do we see? We see that it's connected with hunger. Now, that does kind of make sense in many ways because, you know, we can all kind of do and say things that we don't necessarily mean to do or say whenever we are hungry. Whenever we have different types of stresses in our life and, you know, being hungry or just kind of um, something like that, it might make us a little irritable. So right now, Jesus, from a human standpoint at least, had every reason just to do whatever he needed to do in order to eat, you know, because he was hungry. It makes sense. After all, how many of us have actually fasted for 40 days and 40 nights like this and, and experienced this type of hunger? So he is in a very vulnerable point right here. This temptation is whenever he was hungry. However, how did he respond? He responded with quoting from the Bible, quoting that it is written. By the way, it's the same way that we should face our own temptations too. But the passage that Jesus quotes is that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is how he responded to that temptation. So can you possibly think of a time in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Exodus, where there was a temptation that involved hunger? Now, you've probably kind of noticed it on the side of the screen uh, over there. But it says Exodus chapter 16. And whenever you open up your, your Bibles to Exodus chapter 16, now we're not going to be looking at these passages in Exodus. I'm just going to kind of make mention of a few things and, and tell you a little bit about the, uh, the story there, just so we can um, be able to make these connections. 
um, I, I would definitely encourage you to maybe write down Exodus 16 and, and go back and, and check that out uh, for yourself sometime because uh, there you can actually get this, this whole story. But this story is uh, whenever they are on their journey, uh, they are going into the wilderness and they become hungry. And what God does for them is he gives them manna and he gives them quail. Now, whenever you look at this, the whole nation of Israel, they didn't respond in a good way. They were actually complaining. They were grumbling. They were complaining uh, to Moses. They were complaining that God has, had brought them out of this land of, of plenty, the, the land of Egypt, where they had all types of different foods. And now they just, what do they have now? You know, they, 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 they're complaining about this. They're hungry. They want some type of food. Now, their example that they left for us is one that we shouldn't be following because they, they didn't trust God whenever it came to filling their, uh, their need of hunger. They didn't trust God. They, they were complaining. They weren't going to be able to just accept the food that they had or accept the, uh, their, their situation that they were in. I mean, God had, had given them so many miracles up to that point, but yet they weren't trusting him. Jesus Christ shows us a better way to face this temptation. The way that he faces it is knowing the scriptures and recognizing that it's not just about living on this bread, but it's actually our life is connected to every word that comes from the mouth of God. So that's what Jesus says to this first temptation. And really, we see this parallel, but yet we see so much more in the person of Jesus Christ and how he deals with this temptation. Each one of the temptations will show us something similar to this. Let's move on to the next one. Temptation number two. This is whenever we might be tempted to test God. Now, there's different types of tests and, and sometimes, you know, different trials and, and, and everything. You know, it's one thing to ask God why he is doing something. After all, that's what we see a lot of times in the Psalms. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about the type of attitude that doesn't just ask questions, but they, they have moved beyond that point of asking God the questions about, you know, why he might be doing this thing or that thing. But they move beyond that and they're, they're kind of accusing. And in a negative way, questioning what God is doing and why he's doing it. That's whenever we get into this, well, questionable uh, position here. And that's whenever you've gone from just asking God questions to actually testing God. Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 7 talk about this temptation. Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hand, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, the devil has kind of upped his game at this point, because what the devil is actually doing now is he is quoting the Bible. Okay, so, so Jesus told him last that, you know, he is totally dependent upon the Bible. So then Satan replies with, Okay, well, I'm going to quote the Bible to you. Satan knows the Bible. At least he knows parts of the Bible. He doesn't understand it, and he doesn't follow it. He doesn't seem to care to. Right here, all he's concerned about is taking what were pure, holy words of God, and he twists them for his own purposes. And he, really, he's twisting them to uh, throw them back in Jesus' face and trying to get Jesus to test God. How does Jesus respond to this temptation? Verse 7, Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Whenever you look at what it means to put God to the test, I, I think that you will see that, that difference that I was making before. 
It's one thing to ask God questions. In fact, I think that's an important part of our growth is asking God questions. But it's a whole nother thing to actually test him, to question him in such a way to where you're doubting him. Well, we kind of see that the, the whole nation of Israel, they had their own temptation about testing God. So last temptation, we looked at Exodus 16. Now it's Exodus 17. So if you're, you know, maybe kind of even trying to remember what these are, which, by the way, I guess if you're just watching this video, if you want to go back and look up these passages, just kind of watch the video again and you'll be able to, to see uh, there whenever it changes. You can even kind of fast forward a little bit to write those things down and to be able to look them up if you want to uh, on your own time. But in Exodus chapter 17, this time what we see is that God produces water from a rock. Now, this happens on two different occasions, and, and there's a reason why I pointed out this one. This one is actually the time that, that, uh, that God tells Moses to strike the rock. And whenever he strikes the rock, then it does produce the water. But here, whenever you start looking at what's going on at this time, they still uh, are, are doubting God, but they've gone beyond just you know, questioning him. They've gone into testing him. In fact, a couple different times, we start to see that, that it's connected to them testing God. In Exodus 17, verse 2, Moses is already approaching them and he's asking them the question, why are you testing the Lord? And that's not the only time whenever you start to notice that the name of the place was even changed in verse 7. We find out that all of this, it relates to their questioning God. They were asking, is God really among us or not? Is the Lord really among us? Is he really here doing these things? That's whenever we start to see that they've begun that they've gone beyond just questioning what God is doing and, and maybe the timing of God and, and still trusting him. They've gone beyond that. They've gone into just testing God. That is something that we're not supposed to do. We're not supposed to put the Lord our God to the test. The nation of Israel did that very thing in Exodus 17. Whenever they were faced with this temptation, they gave in. But what Jesus did whenever he was faced with this temptation is he stood firm. How did he stand firm? He stood firm once again on knowing the word of God. And in this case, knowing it very well. In case you haven't realized by now, another kind of point that I want us to get is we need to know the word of God. That's how we can stand firm whenever temptation comes our way. But there's still one third and final temptation for us to look at. Matthew chapter four, verses eight through 10. This is the temptation of idolatry. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So this third temptation, idolatry, it can take on so many different forms. I'm not even going to try to, to kind of list some of those things because there's just such a long list of how idolatry can reveal itself in our lives. In this case right here, it's revealing um, itself to, to Jesus by Satan wants to be worshipped. Satan's not the one that's supposed to be worshipped. It's only God. We can only worship the Lord our God and serve him only. So this temptation, though, it's a shared temptation. It's one that, that perhaps, you know, you have even been, been tempted with. It's, it's one that still is alive today, which, by the way, each one of these temptations, all of them are still alive today, and they can, they can all cause us problems. This temptation was one that was also faced by the nation of Israel. This time in the book of Exodus, chapter 32, we read that account of the golden calf. 
Now, it's amazing to me because while Moses is up on the mountain receiving the words of God, the people are down below and they're making an idol. They gave in to this temptation. They gave in to it horribly. So the, the nation of Israel, they failed whenever it came to this temptation of idolatry. But Jesus Christ, he stepped in as the son of God and he taught us how to endure this type of temptation. Once again, it comes with resting in and trusting in the word of God. We should worship the Lord our God and serve him only. Jesus Christ gave us all these different examples and we see that after this, we see that, that Jesus did win. Jesus endured these temptations. That's why we read in verse 11 of Matthew 4. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So all these different temptations, the fact that, that uh, he was tempted with hunger, he was tempted with testing God, and he was tempted uh, with also uh, that sin of idolatry. He conquered those temptations. See, Jesus has overcome all of the temptations. And he's given us the ability to be able to deal with the temptations and overcome temptations in our own life as well. And I want to just end by by reading this passage that we see in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's the last part of, of chapter 5 and it's the first part of chapter 6. But notice what Paul says right here. He says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Let's listen to what Paul is saying right here. Let's listen to this, this beautiful line, this beautiful passage in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that talks about Jesus Christ, that God made Jesus Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us. See, Jesus, he overcame all of those temptations, every single one of them. He was never, he, he never gave in to any temptation that he was tempted with. But at the same time, he had no sin, but he became sin for us. So that in him, so that through what he did, we can become the righteousness of God. Isn't that great news? It's wonderful news. Let's make sure that we don't receive this news and to receive the God's grace in vain. That's what Paul is, is urging them to not do, not to receive God's grace in vain. So I tell you with the words of Paul, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Let's do something about it. I run for the crown. I race for the prize. I press toward the upward call of God. I run for the crown. I race for the prize. I press toward the upward call of God. I fight with all my might to keep on living for the Christ. I know there is a glorious end in sight. The crown of life, the crown of victory I shall wear. So I sing the song of triumph till I'm there. I run for the crown, I race for the prize, I press toward the upward call of God. I run for the crown, 
I race for the prize. I press toward the upward goal of God. I fight with all my might to keep on living for the Christ. I know there is a glorious end in sight. The crown of life, the crown of victory I shall wear. So I sing the song of triumph till I'm there. I run for the crown. I race for the prize. I press toward the upward call of God.